He's a dog named Brian. I'm a cat's name Ryan. Oh, you didn't know? <laughs> then you better call somebody and tell them to subscribe, listen, watch, download, and share because it's time for a very special episode of Oh, You Didn't Know with the Road Dog. Before we get into why it's a special episode, let's catch up with you, dog man. How you feeling? You yeah, good. Ryan. You yeah. You never cease to pop me on the on the entrance, man. Uh, thank you for. Bringing the energy and I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm feeling good, man. I, I uh, cut some grass today on my uh, John Deere zero turn. It's a 60 inch blade. Is that you know, the Ryan, it's Ryan, it's, grass. Yeah. Like Ryan, it. it's true what they say. Nothing, run, nothing runs like a deer. How about that? Cut that. and send that out, Steve, if you would, to try to get John Deere. Yeah, I think a, we, uh, we can look for some extra sponsorship <laughs> app, uh, opportunities and maybe they can send you a little tractor yeah. as a, 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 just to try it out. I'd love to add to my collection because I've got three John Deere tractors. Dog, just a couple of weeks ago, you were in the UK reunited with your tag team brother from another mother, Billy Gunn. And we all want to know how that felt. Yeah, it, it was awesome. Look, it's always awesome when Billy and I get together. Um, it's like we've never been apart, to be quite honest with you. That's just the kind of friends we friendship we have now. Um, and like I've said on the podcast before, we've grown up together. So we're in a really good place, both of us individually. Uh, so it's really cool when I get to see him because it feels like we're both really grateful for where we're at and what we're doing. So, um, yeah, it was great to see him. The fans in the UK are always great. So polite. Uh, to be quite honest, I hate to second America. America on anything, but but uh, we could learn a little uh, lesson and respect for, from those people because man, the people in Liverpool were so respectful. Uh, it really struck struck uh, stuck out to me and Billy. We talked about that, so yeah, I had a great time. I appreciate you asking about it. Screw the respect. Let's talk the energy. Like, was it good to be back in front of a live crowd performing? I feel like it's not something you've gotten to done in the last few months or so. I, I have not. And we actually did a Q and a uh, during the middle of one of those days. And uh, they, the people got me to, you know, stand up and say my, my entrance and Billy, of course, then had to stand up and say his two words. And so, <laughs> so it was, it was fun. It was energetic. Um, it was an opportunity for me to tell more people about the podcast. Uh, what my way of uh, promoting it is just kind of making it a running rib throughout any Q&A I have where I just say, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but uh, I got a podcast now. And uh, so so it's, uh, you know, it's it's bashing them over the head with it, but in an entertaining way. So I'm, I'm hoping to spread the word. I got some footage that was sent in by a fan. I hope we don't have to mute it. I would think because he's singing over <laughs> does he, does he it have and pants talking on? over it that it should be fine on clearance. But let's just run into this clip and introduce Christopher Downs. As Christopher Downs? I know Christopher Downs from Facebook. Yeah, he's from it, Facebook fame. There you go. And now he's singing with my baby tonight. If we can maybe get a little pop on the screen of that. Spend my day working hard on the go, but the hands on the clock keep spinning too slow. I, I can't help but sing it with him. I gotta be honest, he's uh he's pretty good. It comes into it. He's like, not bad. Look at him. He's he's not bad. Not bad at all. So not bad at all. But I tell you what he needs to do, Ryan. I tell you what he needs to do is he needs to sing from the diaphragm more, and so he needs to stand up straight, stand erect, if you know what I'm saying. Like stand up erect. 
talking of standing erect, it's a great time to talk about Blue Chew. And on this special occasion, we can rise to the occasion. And welcome. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's get Christopher Downs off and go to the Blue Chew read. Well, we don't even have to do a full read. It was just a nice segue of excitement. It was a great segue. Because... We're going to introduce our first special guest we've ever had on the program. And he's a man who's literally done it all in professional wrestling and someone you know all too well because he's know. family. He's your big brother, Scott Armstrong. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Welcome, Scott. What up, boys? How you guys doing? I feel like. The I, gang's I, I back had, together. I had to get a candy bowl in here as we welcomed you on. So I, I just felt it had to be like old times. Yeah, I wish, dude. Yes, it does. was a lot of fun, and we ate a lot of candy. <laughs> this is gonna be. I a still lot eat of a fun. lot of candy. I mean, we all eat a lot of yeah. candy. Come on, I just but had, not, not nose candy. We don't do that. None of us do that anymore. Well, Ryan, Ryan might. I don't know. <laughs> We don't test. We don't test on the show. I, mean, I, I don't. No, we don't. We do not have a wellness policy. But I don't do no candy. It's not my thing. Okay, okay. I like to ski on the slopes, but not on the mountains. All right. Basically, basically, Scotty, we have like an AA meeting every time. We come my, on my wife is about to message and be like, uh, can we get back on track right now? Yeah, yeah. Blue Chew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal? Is Blue Chew and you bring me on? Is that the deal? Yes, yes, that's it. Because the polar bear, you know, we got to use the polar bear. Uh but yeah, no. So so yeah, but we we know it was a great segue. But we don't. Are we not going to do the read, Ryan? I, I think we'll do the read. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm cool with that. So we're on to we're on to Scott Armstrong, we're my curious. oldest, my oldest brother. Yes, by the way, right. and so some of the notes that I read uh, were actually incorrect uh, because they it asked Scott when he. Uh, did, did he like it when all of his brothers followed in his footsteps? And Scott, I'd love for you to touch on that because that's not correct. Go ahead. Brad, Brad was the first one to start. Brad started uh, wrestling. He was 18 years old, three weeks out of high school. And uh, I was actually in college at the time. And Brad was wrestling in the territory days down in, uh, which was Southeastern back then. And I want to say 81 and, uh, and I was in college going to what is now Kennesaw College. It was Kennesaw Junior College back in the 1600s when I went there. But anyway, they um, and I would drive. They would wrestle in Montgomery, Alabama, like on a Friday night. And so I'd go to college that day and then drive. Uh, Montgomery is about two and a half hours from Kennesaw. And I would drive there and watch Brad wrestle and see my dad. And then I would drive back. And so, man, after watching Brad, I would do it, I mean, every week if I could drive down there and watching Brad over and over and over. Next thing you know, I came down for spring break to Pensacola and my dad goes, son, you know, there's colleges down here too. So go home and sell all your stuff and come on, move down here. And that's what, wow. I, that's what I did. And I started going to all the wrestling matches that Brad was involved in. And next thing you know, I was next <laughs> and then wow. and then Steve and then along a little while later after the Marines here came Brian. <laughs> I, yeah, I just to wanted to, I wanted to get that out first Ryan before you kind of broke into the questions. That was the only thing I noticed really that was fixing the timeline a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. 
I used to watch Brad at the UIC Pavilion in Chicago when he was rocking the Candyman trunks. <laughs> oh, yeah. He had a number of yeah. gimmicks. <laughs> All right. Let's start breaking into some questions and break down you, your career, growing up in the biz and all of that. And we're going to start with a question actually for both of you guys. It's about your dad, Bullet Bob Armstrong, the patriarch of the Armstrong family. What was it like growing up with him as your dad? Well, Scotty, I'll let you you go first. I never really knew. Look, he he was always into weightlifting, always. Uh, we always had a gym in our house uh, since I can remember life. And, uh, and he was always a wrestler as long as I can remember life. But the first time I ever really realized that, oh, wow, he's kind of a big deal. We were in a store and a family came in. And the first thing the dad said is, hey, look, that's Bob Armstrong. And that's the first time that I ever went, oh, wow. And like the, the age difference, um, I was the oldest. And then Brad was like a year behind me. And then Steve was like uh, almost three years behind me. And Brian is eight years behind me. So at that time, me and Brad were probably six and five and Steve was two. Brian wasn't even thought of. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but, but Hey, look, I got to jump in on this. Brian was the girl that they were going to have after three boys. Oh, we're going to have, what did they we're get? Try. The, the big, yeah. the biggest, the loudest name. one of the family. <laughs> <laughs> the name, the name was going to be Jana. And, uh, and so my granddaughter's, my only granddaughter's name is Jana Gale, which is Gale was after my mom. So that was, that was to carry on. I was supposed to be a girl. And so I don't know with today's technology and how things are. Yeah, like, it ain't over yet. I might can be one tomorrow. <laughs> well, possibly. Uh, but you, anyway, yeah, Bob Armstrong. So then, you know, as time went on, uh, watching him on, on TV, uh, oh, my gosh, we would watch him on TV. And back then, you know, our television set was a huge, giant box and and uh, with the, the rabbit ears on top. And as soon as the show, as soon as wrestling was over, we were glued to it. And as soon as it was over. Oh my God, we went into matches off the coffee table and all that. <laughs> our mom, our mom was one of the toughest women to ever walk the face of the earth. I'll tell you that. <laughs> As life went on and you all had these careers in the business, what was the pressure like to succeed based on coming from the success that he already had and the reputation he built? I mean, for me, um, look, the first match I ever had, I'll never forget this. It was a, it was a tag team match. It was, and it was with Brad as my partner. And, uh, and I went to my dad, of course, nervous wreck first match in front of people. And I said, Hey dad, um, you know, what, is there anything you want me to do or anything I need to do? And he just smiled and said, yeah, stand on the apron and watch your brother. And honestly, <laughs> that's probably the best thing he could have ever said because yeah. I was glued to everything Brad did. And Brad was very fortunate when he started, he was in the ring with like Dennis Condry and Randy Rhodes, Norvell Austin. And that's three dudes that could go and three. Yeah. And, and that was good uh, old school Southern uh, spots, you know, uh, tag spots. And, and Brad, by the time I was standing on the apron with him, he was already, 
two years in or a year and a half in and smooth as silk from and imagine he learned uh like you said those old school southern tag spots the timing that it takes to to perfect those he learned that like learning to wrestle that's what I, you know what i mean i can't yeah. i don't know if that's if that's translating but learning to wrestle and and doing it at that high level is is why he's his timing was so so perfect and his ring presence and ring placement like was all perfect yeah so for me grow you know dad was always he was on top when i was in middle school and he was uh, i mean it was it was continental southeastern championship wrestling you know whatever it was down south um but he went, you know, when I and then he went back up to w, or to uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling and came back, and so he was always on TV. But that's what, yeah, I watched every Saturday because sometimes that was the only time I got to see him. Um, these guys all got to go on the road with him and wrestle with him. And look, I wrestled with him many a times, but uh, but I didn't know him like. Scotty and and Brad and Steve did because they got to go on the road with him and and work with him next to him. You know what I mean? And I mean, travel and long periods of time on the road together. And so I had that opportunity the last 10 years of his life. And so so I I I got to know him. I felt like for real, because, you know, once he stopped traveling, I started traveling. So we crisscrossed. And so so, yeah, it's really cool. I don't even know what we're talking about. Scotty, you started laughing and giggling when you heard that. You got a road story of growing up. I do, but I'm not sure if I can tell it. Can I? I mean, (laughs) I think which one is it? The uh, the the gas station coming back from um, Montgomery. Yes. And, oh, yes. Yeah. Are you, you sure? That. You could tell the nunchuck one. You can. Oh, t- okay. <laughs> so, so, look, Bullet Bob in the locker room. Everybody saw the the kindest, most gentle human being, and and would help you and help. I've since he passed away. I've had so many guys say to me, "Your dad helped me so much." But there was another side to him, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and only if he was disrespected. And not he never tried to start anything. Anyway, we're coming back from Montgomery, Alabama. It's after the show. Uh, back then, heels and baby faces. If you got caught even talking to each other, you got your notice. You were gone. And so we pull off the exit, and there's the whole two cars of heels. And so he goes, "All right, we'll go down the next one." We go down to the next. Uh, exit and get off and there's a guy in there and he is just an obnoxious we didn't know him as just some guy we're trying to buy gatorade and crackers for the ride and uh he just kept going and going and finally i said hey dude what's your problem and he kept running his mouth and all of a sudden (laughs) bully bob just goozles this guy and just drags him out the door. And you know, like at a Tom Thumb or 7-Eleven, the, the double doors, they fly open. Well, yeah. one side they had lo- locked. And so <laughs> when he drugged the guy, the guy's face just went, and it just pulled the skin off his face. He just starts bleeding immediately. And he, our, our car was right there, we just filled up. And he just by the neck beals him and the guy rolls <laughs> And you know how the gas pumps are on like a little raised up um, yeah. cement lift. Yes. Yep. And so the guy just happened to come to back up to his feet and I've stood there and watched this whole thing. But the guy goes, yeah, two of y'all can't whoop my ass. <laughs> and my dad goes, do you want some more? And the guy said, yeah, he hit this dude with the most beautiful punch. <laughs> 
you've ever seen. And the guy literally went between the gas pumps to the other side and just did a snow angel. And and I just and the referee the referee was riding oh, with us. Lord. And all of a sudden he just gets back in the car and goes, Well, he's got a buddy in there, and I told his buddy, unless you want some of the same, I'd just stay in here. And he said, <laughs> I said, Well, where's he now? And he said, He's in there watching his buddy get his <laughs> he ass stayed, He stayed in there. <laughs> Oh my gosh! It's yeah. just the other side to the Armstrongs. Yeah. Should I tell them? <laughs> and everybody, tell them most that most of us that most <laughs> people that know us know know these stories and know how it is. But uh, what was Ryan? I don't want to get too far off off of uh, no, our track we're, here. We're, we're in schedule. We're doing okay. Good. Okay, good. So yeah. Tell, did Bullet Bob want his baby boys to follow in his footsteps, or did he originally want you guys to stay away? Well, for for me, um. I had, when I was going to college, I was also working uh, at a bank and so like in the bookkeeping department. And so he, he literally told me straight up, no, you stay in school, you do, you know, no way did he want me in the business. But, and I'd watched Brad, you know, driven down there to Montgomery and watched him so many times. And there was no way, I mean, I, I literally, without asking him, bought, uh, we uh, are telling him either one bought uh, wrestling boots and I'd wear them around the house to break them in. I mean, I wanted it that bad. And, and I think finally he knew it and he just, um, it's funny because I kept saying, dad, I need you to train me. I need you to train me. And he said, yeah, okay. Because he didn't want me in the business. And, uh, the late Tommy Rogers, one of the fantastics bless his heart. He just happened to be, wrestling in the Pensacola area and he would take me to the ring. I mean, all the time and we would get there way early in the day, you know, before any of the boys and, uh, and I owe Tommy everything. I mean, he taught me so much and then I'll, I'll never forget him telling my dad, Oh, I think he's ready. I think he, I think he's ready to wrestle. And I, I couldn't wait to get in the car and say, dad, did you hear what he said? I can wrestle. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, but, Tom, but Tommy said I could. Yeah, right. That's exactly that's exactly right. With all the yeah, well, he, he, Ryan, and he, yeah. he didn't uh, he he didn't want me to wrestle either. Like no. he, you know, it was. I think he. It, I don't know why it was different with Brad. I don't know. I think he treated each kid a little differently, which is how you should, right? They're all individuals. So I think he kind of went at each one individually. Um, anyway, um, I don't know why. No, interrupted okay. you. I interrupted you just to say that. <laughs> I, I was originally going to, Scotty, I was going to ask, let's move on. <laughs> We're off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's Scotty, my fault. Who, who was your favorite wrestler growing up besides your dad? Um, in my youth was uh, Mr. Wrestling number two. He was huge in Atlanta. And I mean, like top, one of the top baby faces and, and just super push and never – um, you know, you never saw him without his mask. And even, yeah. even later in life, uh, he came and worked the continental area a little bit and he'd go in the shower with that mask on. I mean, he protected <laughs> the gimmick. He, he protected it big time. But as I got older, um, Ric Flair. So look, Ric Flair, I've Ric Flair, please let me tell this story. Yeah. Do, do you have a minute where I can tell the story? So this was, um, I had just moved down here and I was 21, I think, and just able to get in a bar at the time. And 
Down, so, down where, Scott? Oh, I'm sorry, Pensacola. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the the southeastern territory. And so Redneck back at, Riviera. Yeah, yes. And back in those days, <laughs> each wrestling territory would get the world champion for a week. And so it was Flair's week to be in Pensacola. And he was working against my dad every night in the main event. And they were going, you know, 50 minutes or 55 minutes or whatever. And so uh, I go to the show. I watch them do that. And my dad goes, hey, um, Flair doesn't have a car. So I want you to go take him out wherever he wants to go and just don't let him go to jail. And I just started I started going no, dad. Hey, that's not me. No, no, I don't want anything to do with it because, you know, I'd heard all the stories about Flair. And uh, at this time, Flair's probably in his 30s. I mean, and already the world champion. I mean, so anyway, I, I watched their match 50 minutes. I mean, long match. We, I take him back to his hotel. He said, hey, yeah, can you give me like, uh, you know, 45 minutes or so? I said, yeah, sure. So, you know, I go sit in the car, I come back and he opens the door and he's in his boxers, his Sunday go to meet and shoes with his black socks on. <laughs> and he's got back then a hotel room had wooden old wooden chairs, you know, like a block chair. And yeah. he had it up against the wall in his hotel room and he was doing step ups and he he just opened the door and went right back to doing step ups. And he said, Hey, put whatever you want on the TV. Just, just give me a few more minutes. And he starts doing these step ups. Well, he, he did them forever. And I said, um, Rick, how many do you do? And he said, well, I do 10 sets of a hundred. And I went, well, you traveled all day and you just went 50 minutes at least with my dad. Um, why do you, and he said, well, you know, uh, 60 minute man, space mountain. He said, you got to live the gimmick, right? And I said, yes, sir, you do. That moment in time is etched in my mind because he was at the top of his game in his 30s, top of his game, and stayed there for a long time. But without even saying a word to me, he showed me what it took to stay at the top of your game. And, man, the respect I have for that dude, his work ethic, uh, in his prime, second to none. Of course, after that, he got dressed and we proceeded to go to a bar and where he literally said, and I, I'm not kidding, he said, we walk in the door and everybody, it's midnight now, and everybody in there turns and sees, oh my God, it's Ric Flair. And, he's, boy, Rick and Flair. he literally says, barkeep, make me a pitcher of kamikazes. And the, and the kid goes, well, Mr. Flair, I don't know how to make a picture of kamikaze. So, well, do you know how to make a kamikaze? And he said, well, yes, sir. He said, well, then make one and m make them go all the way down the bar and hand me a picture. And to this minute, it is the most alcohol I've seen on one bar in my life. And I mean, just 50 glasses. And Flair just took the, the picture and he just went boom. Boom, all the way down. Now the entire bar is watching, no doubt about it. <laughs> he just turned around with that picture and said, ladies, and here they came. And uh, I won't say how that night ended. I just It's um, good to be the king. I remember the beginning of the night for sure. <laughs> it might not have needed blue chews, but if it did, you can <laughs> code dog. That's D-O-double-G. <laughs>
code dog. Uh, oh, going back to your father for one or two more questions. Uh, uh, let, let, let me ask you this. Did you know that you were destined to be in the business? So, so he didn't want you guys to be a part of it, aside from Brad. Did you know that you were destined to be a part? Did you just feel the calling? Actually, I wanted to do it since I remember it. I'll tell you a true story. This happened probably about five years ago. Um, you know how parents sometimes they'll just keep everything you did in school, the macaroni picture or whatever. I mean, they just keep everything. And my mom called me and said, hey, come over here. you got to see this. And I, they lived right across the house. I said, okay. And, and me and one of my kids shot over there. She had saved uh, – I was in the third grade, and I had written uh, – my dad is a professional wrestler. I want to be a professional wrestler, just like my dad. I will get married when I'm 25 years old. I will have two kids. She looked at me and said, everything you wrote came to be. Everything. I got married at 25. I had two kids. <laughs> she said, why did you not write down the winning lottery numbers? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Said, You're right. That's the first thing I was thinking. Why didn't you write down that? I'm going to become... Yeah. A billionaire. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, so I wanted to do it my whole life. It's funny because Brad ended up being the one that, I mean, right out of high school and he never said it once ever. And then and I don't up, even remember him being, and I wasn't, you know, I was a lot younger, but I don't remember him being that into athletics. You know what I mean? Like I know he played, you know, baseball and football and stuff, but, but I don't remember him even like, that's what the weird part to me about it was, was I thought he was the least athletic and like, Holy crap. I was, <laughs> I was so wrong. You know? <laughs> yeah. He, he, he definitely, uh, he, he, it just didn't seem like he was going to. And then Steve, Steve was working as a, as a bouncer at a bar and then came home one night and said, yeah, I quit. I'm going to wrestle. I mean, it was just like that. And we, oh, okay. But he was always a hoss. So he was a, a big boy. Yeah, so. and he was an athlete. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I thought I saw that coming. Um, and Brian, yeah, and Brian, Brian was the one that we didn't think would get in because, I mean, if you've seen the old pictures when he was in the Marines, he was just tall and skinny. I mean, and, and yeah, so it was like six, six, four, 170 pounds. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it was just bones Malone. Uh, and so, yeah, I, 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 I always wanted to be a wrestler. You know what I mean? I just didn't think I was going to be one either. Um, yeah. So here we are together. Yeah. Yeah. The stars aligned. Yeah, so let's talk about your name because Scott's not your first name. So, so who decided you were going to go by Scott? Wait, just, I traveled. I mean, like once I moved to Pensacola, um, I started traveling to some of the towns with uh, Brad and uh, my dad. And, you know, the people in the crowd got to know me. Look, you, um, Georgia is where we're all from. And then uh, the territory was mostly Alabama and Northwest Florida. And so, you know, it's like home folks and the people are real salt of the earth. They're real people. And I just would go to the shows and you know, because I wasn't, I didn't stay in the locker rooms. I stayed outside. So the, the wrestling fans all knew me as, oh, that's Scott. Cause that's, you know, that's what my parents always called me, Scotty. And so, uh, and so I just, uh, when it started, it was, a, I mean, it was just a given. It was going to be Scott. My first name is Joseph, but I wasn't, uh, 
that was my dad's real first name too. And so, so I remember at work always being so confused on your email. <laughs> it never came from Scott. And it was the joke. And you're like, who sent me this email? Yeah. I, I, I had people at NXT just not that long ago say, wait, you and Road Dog are brothers? <laughs> yeah. So, hey, welcome to 2022. Yeah, still, yeah. <laughs> you brought up your Georgia and Alabama territory days. Talk to me about what that was like when you got started. It was six nights a week, uh, same town every week. Uh, one, one would be, we called them spot shows. And it would be, you know, like a little National Guard Armory or a middle school gym. or uh, But it would be different towns. But all the other towns... Birmingham, Mobile, Pensacola, um, Dothan, all those same, we were in those same towns on the same night, uh, you know, every week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, and uh, Sunday was Pensacola. So we, everybody lived in Pensacola because it was the beach and all the towns were, you know, fairly short drives. We, we could leave at five o'clock, except, except for Birmingham, which was a four hour drive. Everything you could leave at five o'clock, be home by one in the morning, and next morning you get up, go to the gym, go to the beach, hang out all day, head back, shower, go on to the next town. I mean, it was the ter- this territory was awesome. And um, with that being that schedule being said, every wrestler in the United States, everyone in the world wanted to be here in, in the Pensacola territory because you could be on the beach every day and short trips and make pretty good money. And, uh, and so I had the benefit then of working with some of the top talent that would come in here uh, and, you know, just learn from them. I, I'll, I'll tell you this, um, Tommy Gilbert, Doug Gilbert, uh, Eddie Gilbert, the late Eddie Gilbert, th- his dad, Tommy Gilbert, was an old school wrestler. And look, when I started, it was, um, you know, tag team spots with Brad. So it was spot, 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 spot. I still hadn't learned at that time how to actually wrestle on the mat, uh, learn how to operate in front of the people without my brother. And I'll never forget Tommy Gilbert coming in here and me getting in the car and saying to my, and I told Tommy this story before he passed away. I I said, uh, I told him the story. I said, I told my dad, I said, dad, I got to wrestle somebody else. This guy's old. He doesn't want to do anything. You know, just, I was young. I thought I knew everything. You know, I had to get old to realize I don't know Jack, but he, and my, I'll never forget. My dad said, boy, you ever say another negative word about that man? I'll pull this car over and slap your ass. You got me. And I said, and I, I didn't even know what I'd said. I said, yes, sir. I do. And he said, he said, if you'll just shut your mouth and realize you don't know shit about this business, he will teach you everything about wrestling. And six months later, Tommy left the territory and I cried when he left and hugged his neck and told him, I said, dude, I'll owe you. I'll cry telling you about it. I said, I'll owe you the rest of my life, man. What a good human being he was. And he he literally taught me what what I did and made a living doing for the next 20 years. So, yeah, I, I owe that dude a lot. But anyway, back to your original question, the, the territory was awesome. Oh my gosh. After Tommy left, I ended up, uh, room, uh, me and Arn Anderson were roommates for about a year and 
holy mackerel. <laughs> I was just wrong <laughs> on so many levels. Yeah, that whole era. Yeah, I didn't get to, uh, you know, I watched the 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 uh, territory and, and man, I wish so much I would have been born into it because it was a good territory and it was a good time and it was there was money to be made. It just it was it was really good at that time. I, I just missed it. I missed it by that much. Lessons of life learned and we're learning about the career of Scott Armstrong <laughs> and there's so much more to talk about. But let's take a minute to save with Conrad. And when we come back, more questions for both of you and a deeper dive into Scott's career. We'll be back. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help. And you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. We're back and jumping right into it. And I'll ask this to both of you. Who was the best wrestler of the family? Brad, bad by far. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even a. No. it's not even a question. There's no question, and in, and there's no shame in uh, admitting you're not as good as Brad Armstrong because yeah, like like all. like the legendary Ric Flair that we've talked about already said, top five, maybe top three. Oh, somebody's got a motorcycle, <laughs> or either that's maybe this that is time. So maybe this. Hey, maybe this is time we go to the Taco Bell promotion. (laughs) Oh, crap. I forgot what I was saying. No, you both say Brad on that. Oh, yeah, Brad, Brad. Best entertainer in the family. For sure. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt. I. Yeah. Dog, I, I think his mic cut out and you didn't even get to hear him say your name. It was just like, yeah, it's a given. It's a given. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I appreciate that, though. <laughs> You're so humble, dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, you know, look, I, I try to say what I mean and mean what I say. And I don't, I don't like to. You know, I don't mind saying don't Brad like was Brad, the best. Earlier yeah, we were talking bravado and being braggadocious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. let me so tell this just, story. Just, just saying my worth. <laughs> tell it, Scotty. All right. So, so Brian was still um, Brian was just starting to wrestle in WCW. But Brian, I think you were living back at home at that time, weren't you? No, I lived with Brad and Marietta. Oh, okay. And so, all of a sudden, we're at our parents' house. Brian come comes walking in. And he had got the braids put in. And 
we you know back then that didn't happen <laughs> nobody had braids nobody and he walked in and the brother me Stephen brett we laughed hysterically and said and brian got so pissed off and he just went and got in his car and left and with a, a bunch of expletives towards the brothers yeah and and we you guys laughed. are being mean to me and and then and then we get to wc or uh yeah, it was WCW TV, right? And yeah. he's our partner and, you know, we're messing with him so bad because of those braids. And then the next thing, you know, a few weeks go by and JJ Dillon calls him and says, so you ready to come to work for the giant W <laughs> and WWF at the time? And, and, and I'll never forget this line. Brian told him, uh, well, I mean, you, you know what they've done to me here on TV for the last year or so. And he said, what they've done to you in a year, we can change in 30 seconds. And the rest yep. is history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's and he's right. I mean, people get so upset now watching TV and they go, oh, they didn't do this the way I wanted them to. And it's like, really? Next week, we'll be back on and get another opportunity to make you happy. Yeah, the braids were a killer, man. <laughs> they were. And then it became the signature. It, it became... I'll never forget the time me and, and my, at the time my daughter was probably four or something or five and my son was two or three. Anyway, we walk into Walmart with Brian and they had just had, you know, Walmart has their morning rallies where everybody gets in a circle and have it, have it, have it, and fire each other up before they go out into the water, or used to anyway. And we literally walked past that group and everybody just turned around. That's how strong Brian and Billy were at the time on TV. And within minutes, they had all gone and bought every action figure of the road dog <laughs> in Walmart. And we're coming up to him and say, will you sign this, please? Will you sign? The manager was raising hell with him, saying, you can't do that. Come on. And, and then we walked down the party aisle and there's paper plates with the the bulldog with the braids. And I remember saying, geez, those braids have made you so much money. <laughs> I remember um, Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan was a commentator in WCW at the time, and he would call me Whoopi Armstrong uh, because of the braids. And it actually just—it was actually just was, you know, in, in retrospect and knowing what I know now, like that was just promotion, and I didn't even know it was going on. But he was talking about my hair the whole time I'm doing a job for somebody else, you know. Right. Yeah, Armstrong curse, man. Yeah, I, I had yeah. my braided hair back in those days, and we're talking. About <laughs> I think it's one of the reasons yeah. I went bald was pulling it all. Uh, yeah, yeah, it hurt too much. I right, question for both of you guys: What was your favorite part of being a professional wrestler as you broke in? What was the best part in the beginning of your career? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you, go, you go ahead, Scott. I mean. Look, I, I was so busy trying to learn to do the right thing and and focus on not screwing up and at the same time not hurting whoever I was working with. So anytime we got to the end of the match and there was either a giant wah, coming up out of their seats, huge pop or uh, whatever the goal was at the end of the match, anytime that I was a part of achieving that, Man, that was like, you can't buy that, man. That that was a rush that would take you home and you wake up the next morning and you're still on that cloud. And it's like, oh, it was just an awesome, awesome feeling uh, for me. 
uh, as I got older, I learned how to control that to get to that point. And I wasn't so focused on, oh, I hope I'm going to do this right, because I had done it enough to where I should have done it right anyway, <laughs> whether I did or not, I don't know. But, but yeah, just to get to the finish of a match and get the reaction that you hope and pray for. It's just a, it's a feeling you can't describe to anybody unless they've just felt it. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the best part is, but like it's it happened all so fast after I got out of the Marine Corps that I I don't know. You know, I, I was I was all the way done with the hottest part of my career before I even learned how, how to wrestle, you know, <laughs> and uh, and especially the psychology of it all, the psychology of the television show and the writing of the show and the flow and the, you know what I mean? How do, how do we, all of the construction of, and I think that's what Scotty was talking about, the construction of the match, the construction of a WrestleMania, the construction of a Tuesday or, or Friday Night SmackDown, the, the construction of that to get a certain uh, response or pop or whatever. And when you see it, come to pass like it comes to fruition it is a euphoria but but then you know i didn't i didn't start feeling all that really till i got sober um because it was just about now it's just a party you know what i mean yep yep so scotty from the territory days you got your chance to debut in wcw when you were working as enhancement talent i think it was around early 1990 what was it like to be a part of the company and going on the road with wcw Chance, it's what you look. If you didn't, if you worked anywhere, you wanted to work for WCW or for Vince, and and to get that opportunity. And I knew I'd gotten the opportunity because of my dad and and Brad at the time. And uh, hey, I'll take whatever I can get. And uh, man, did I love it! Oh gosh, it was to be in the locker room with those guys that I just watched on TV. Look, I call me a Mark. Okay, I'm a mark. <laughs> I'm still a mark. I love, I love it. I watch all the shows, and uh, but at that time, it was a uh, man. It, it was awesome. I had a really good time doing it. From there, you got to head back to your roots to Smoky Mountain Wrestling, <laughs> starting as yourself, and eventually transitioning to Dixie Dynamite. Yes. What was your experience down there in Smoky Mountain? Smoky Mountain was so much like Continental. It was the again salt of the earth wrestling fans that that just loved it and wanted to be taken on that ride and forget you know the, the predetermination of it all and it it was just the it was so fun to come in as scott armstrong but then uh, it was jim Cornette was uh, the one running the show and he came to me and said hey i have an idea and it's uh, kind of a kid's gimmick but at the same time uh your dad is going to be like our top guy as a uh, commissioner. And he said, and I, I want to eventually get to the story of your mask comes off and your Bob Armstrong's son. And he said, but I don't want to do that for at least a year. And I said, okay, now I don't really, honestly, I don't remember how long I was Dixie Dynamite, but it wasn't um, like Dixie Dynamite, it was Dixie Dynamite. He had a whole way to do it. And, uh, in a, a red mask and I mean it was it was a lot of fun because I, I ran to the ring with sparklers I, you know it was a kid's gimmick and so 
And plus, it meant that I could go on first and then get in my car and get out of there for the show. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're driving those Smoky Mountain roads, I promise you, you want to get out early. <laughs> Dog, as Scott brings up, you know, that vibe, let me ask long-term storytelling. How hard is it? You have the experience behind the scenes. How hard is it to really plan out that year-long angle turn and, 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 and see it come to fruition? Or, or does it just always change so much every three days after the plan was made? Yeah, it's so it's it's look, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult. And, and only because, look, you're doing a live show several nights a week with athletes that are taking, putting their lives on the line and putting their limbs in, on the line. You know what I mean? And so things happen and things change and people leave and people so it's 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 very hard to do but it is possible if it's especially if it's your company and you plan on having it a year then you can kind of control that but even then you know something goes down or scotty goes down you lose him for two months or, or six months if it's a knee or something you know what i mean like it's 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 very difficult to plan that out um Thank God I had help because I'm a I'm a in the moment kind of guy. I can help you get out of this moment we're in right now, but I can't uh, see the future. You know what I mean? And plot out that long. It was a very difficult for me to do. Scott, you brought up Jim Cornette. You got to have some great Cornette stories, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a few. <laughs> there's a few. Hey, look, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Jim uh, is always a good dude to me. He, if he said you're going to do this then it happened. If you're going to get X amount of dollars, I got it. I mean, he was never there. I mean, I, I did witness a few things where, you know, back in the day, he'd eat like two Wendy's triple with cheese and bacon and large fries and a large coat. And I'm talking every night after the show. I'll never get one night pulling up behind him in a Wendy's and I don't know what happened, but man, he <laughs> cut a promo on that poor girl in the drive-thru. <laughs> and I just thought, how does somebody not just try to pull his fat ass through the drive-thru? And then fast forward, I see him all these years later, and he's lost all his weight. And he, I think he was about to die because it looked like he was about to have a heart attack every five seconds. But um, he, uh, about a month before our dad passed away, he was at my house. My dad was at my house and I snuck to the back and I called Jimmy because Jimmy and my dad had a great relationship. They always did. And and I knew I knew Jimmy would appreciate it. And I called him and said, hey, dude, my dad's here. I just want to put you on the phone with him for a minute, if you don't mind. And he said, oh, no, yeah, let's do it. And so I just went, hey, dad, Jim Cornette just called me <laughs> and handed him the phone. And, and they <laughs> talked about 10 minutes and I heard Jim on his podcast say it's the last time uh, that he got to talk to my dad and he, he gave me the shout out for, for giving him the call, but they had a real good relationship. Look, look, Jim Cornette is who he is. I mean, you either accept that or you don't, but if you know, going in, it sure does make it a lot easier. I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about him <laughs> and, and, Bullshit or extraordinary, okay, but hey, man, he treated me good, and I, I always tried to return that favor. I yeah. rubbed him the wrong way when I met him back in my Nashville days of 2003. <laughs> I thought it was disrespectful that I talked to him with my face paint on in the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Well, Ryan. Yeah, I'm hot you don't have it on now. 
Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, you're so stupid. <laughs> no, Jim, no, the truth of it is, Jim, I'll let you say what you will about Jim. He was, he did have a great relationship with our father. He was really good to my whole family, continues to be. Uh, so you, you say what you want, but you, you react to people, how they, how they treat you. You know what I mean? And he's always treated us awesome. So can't say nothing but good things, you know, about Jim. Situations in my life of the same thing where people don't like someone, but that person's been really good to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Oh, you don't want me to like him because you don't like him. Uh, well, yeah, that's how it is today, actually. <laughs> yeah, you returned to WCW and you're working with the likes of Steven Regal, Diamond Dallas Page, the future Triple H and Ron Simmons. How did you end up back in WCW in 94? How does this all come back together? So Jody Hamilton, Jody Hamilton was there and he was he was getting the en- enhancement guys and I called him. I'd known, uh, you know, the original assassins and he had worked as the flame in continental uh, really early in my career. And so uh, I just called him and said, Hey, Smoky Mountain had kind of died out. And it's kind of the, the fizzling out of the territory days of all the, those kinds of territories. And we were down to the big two. And so I just said, uh, I'd say, Joe, do you have anything? And he said, no, kid, I'm sorry. I really don't. There's nothing here. And I said, Not, could I just come up there and put somebody over? And he said, uh, oh, you don't want to do that. And at the time, I had two kids and no job. And I said, no, I, I'll do it. And he went, okay, well, I'll see you whenever David, they were doing TV on at that time. And it just so happened that Regal had just started. And man, him and Brad got along so good. And when I met him, it was like, you know, look, I'm an extension of Brad and Brian's extension of us. You know, you meet one of us, you know us all. And that's how it was with Regal. And we just became really good friends. And about that time, Terror Rising was, was getting his start. And they tagged them up together and against me and Brad. And we had a little run with with those you know uh, the future triple h i mean and that's that's literally how i met him was there and and ron simmons i'll never forget i put ron simmons over on on tv and then the next day there was some live event or something or you know how show we went to and they said well ron didn't show up I didn't see him again for about five years. <laughs> when I did see him, I said, Ron, the last time I saw you in WCW and you beat me on TV in like four minutes and, and I hadn't seen you since. He said, Scotty, that match was the shits, man. I ain't never going to see that match. I quit the business after that. Oh, I love that dude. He's a great guy. Man. I just saw him uh, a couple weeks ago. I did too uh, at WrestleCon. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, he's a good dude. But anyway, yeah, it was – look, to when I went back, Ryan, I had a much bigger appreciation for being there because I went back – hey, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get a job. I was just – I just needed a job, and things just fell into place. And it was like, holy mackerel. Next thing you know, uh, Kevin Nash gets the book, and when he gets the book – he calls me and my brother Steve in and says, you guys feel like you've paid your dues enough? 
And we just started laughing. And he, he <laughs> Brad worked with him a lot when he first started. So he was really cool with our family. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, I'm going to give you guys contract, give you contracts. And we just went, dude, thank you, man. That's, that's really cool. And after that, we still knew our role, but, but there was, it took a lot of the pressure off because, right. you know, look, without a contract, if you snap your leg, you just, yep. you just a dude with your leg snap sitting at the house, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. so, Unemployed with a broken leg. Right. And so, uh, you know, I I was very fortunate to get to see Kevin Nash, I don't know, a year or so ago. Uh, well, no, I guess it was pre-pandemic. Um, I got off the plane and was going out to call Uber, and there he was getting in this big, beautiful black limousine, and he goes, <laughs> hey, you going to the TV hotel? I said, yes. He goes, come on. Oh, man. I said, dude, your timing is phenomenal. <laughs> and I reminded him of that moment where he gave us those contracts. Oh yeah, no. It's, I mean, to him it was no big deal. To us, yeah. it it was everything at the time, man. Yep. So you and Steve and you and Brad are teaming up during this time, and you team with Brad in a dark match against Arn Anderson and Bunkhouse Buck at Starcade. Did you feel like your career was progressing and going where you wanted it to go? I did that was uh at, at that match was at the time was like the biggest, um, even though it was a dark match. Uh, it was like the biggest match in my career as far as uh, as far as the house goes. Well, the house and and hey, these guys are on the Starcade card, and you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, they're and, on top. Yeah, and so Brad's name had been out there, uh, but mine really hadn't, and I didn't feel like it had. And so to be a part of it was huge, and and to be a part of it, look, Bunkhouse Buck was Jimmy Golden here. And I, when we all broke in, we were with him. I mean, he was one of the heels down here. So, <laughs> yeah, we've all Golden. worked with him. And so we worked with him a hundred times. And then Arn had been my roommate. And so, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, they grew up we, together. Right. I mean, we, we, we got into it in our condo one time and he threw me and my foot went through the wall. Well, it was our, it was my dad's condo. I mean, he, <laughs> he bought it to resell it and make money on it. Right. And my foot went through it and we immediately had to call one of our buddies. Hey man, you know, anybody that can plaster up this hole. So nothing happened <laughs> to this. You know, we never told my dad. That was that. two, two adult grown men. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's yes. the kind of respect my dad had. Yeah. But you also need to have those friends that call in those situations that have <laughs> yeah, that can that can hang drywall. So, it, but <laughs> right, uh, but but to go back to your question, yeah, it was um, it was huge. It was cool to get to do it with Arn. You know, there's a like an old thing about the business. Um, you get in the ring with somebody that you really don't know, and you wrestle them, and you might not be as physical because you don't want to hurt somebody that you really don't know. But then you get in there with like, I've wrestled Brian and we beat the hell out of each other. <laughs> and you, and you just come back and laugh and go, Oh my God, you asshole. You knocked the crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, like, I got you with that one. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> and so, Even in non-professional wrestling settings, I remember at amateur freestyle wrestling uh, tournaments, we would go to, if friends drew each other in the brackets, they used to just, same thing. They, they, they'd hit each other with the biggest, hardest moves, throws, yes. slams, and just put on an exhibition of, of pain, yes. punishment, and entertainment for all those that are watching. And that's how yeah, it was. Well, it's, I, it's it was always real competition. With, it was always that way with Arn, too. So, 
it was because of our history. It, it was cool to be able to catch each other with a couple and laugh about it, you know, instead of get mad. <laughs> well, you're I got to I got to work with Dad one time in Smoky Mountain, but I was a ninja and I was hidden under the ring. And Larry Santos was the other ninja, <laughs> and so Larry worked with Dad, and I came out and and ended up hitting Dad with like a chain or something and beat him. I think it was like a loser leave town or something. It was like a big deal, and I I remember thinking like, oh God, I don't want to hit him hard. I don't. Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bro- hey, Brian was the. Brian wrestled in Smoky Mountain with a TV with a mask on as the dark secret. And the dark yeah. secret was, well, he's one of the Armstrongs. And there I was <laughs> wrestling. And That's Dad. another Jim Cornette yes. idea. You know so what I'm I mean? And, the, dark and the, the dark secret. And I wore the Brad had the bad street when he was bad street with uh, with the Freebirds. I just turned that outfit inside out and so it was all black and so so, so yeah it was uh dark Smoky secret, mountain man. yeah yeah it was a dark secret scott while you're working various matches in wcw dog over there is the roadie which we'll be covering in a future episode here but him and jeff jarrett walk out of wwf after a big angle on pay-per-view right what do you remember about this and what were your feelings said, what are you doing? We literally <laughs> said, what are you thinking, Mel? My God, you blew it. You'll never be back. We, you know, we just cast eternal damnation all over it. And, <laughs> you know, look, this business is fickle. You know, today, you never know uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. So, uh, but yeah, we were all very, oh my God, man. We, uh, we just thought it, definitely a career suicide move. That's what we thought. We just didn't know. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I thought, like, I didn't care at all. Like, I, did, I didn't. I, at the time, I just didn't care. I thought it would last forever. I got a taste of it. And uh, you know what I mean? And it was like, oh, yeah, I quit. <laughs> How are they going to go on without me? Oh, they're just taping another television show. <laughs> like, that's how they do it. <laughs> But it wasn't career suicide. So, Scott, when you saw Dog and the New Age Outlaws start to get hot, were you surprised that it was able to turn around all the way? So I I always go back to what J.J. said to him when he got hired. Um, You know, we can change it in 30 seconds. I always went back to that. Uh, I thought about that the rest of my career because that's a brilliant – I mean, it's a good way to look at it. It really is. Um, Definitely what I remember is – uh, you know, Larry Zabisco, I think it was, it said something on TV about, oh, yeah, Abdullah cursed Bob Armstrong, and and uh, now his boys are cursed. I mean, we'd get beat every week on TV. And, and <laughs> yeah, you know, we, had we, had great, we had great pride in our work because we were able to work with, you know, Arn and Flair or, or you know, uh, Triple H and Regal or, you know, whoever – and have really good matches, but we just wouldn't win. And so, um, yeah. And, and, and the great part about that is somebody has to lose. Like it's not, it's not, uh, it's not real. Look (laughs) to us. Well, look, this way I've always looked at it. If it was real, I'd be the guy that you go, yeah, can I get two popcorns? Yeah, here you go, buddy. That'd have been me. And so I don't, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not the toughest guy in the world. I promise you, but uh, to be able uh, for Larry Zabisco to say, oh, yeah, it's an Armstrong curse. Well, then every week on TV, he would say, um, oh, it's the Armstrong curse. There it is. To then fast forward and see Brian come out on his entrance with a shirt 
airbrush that said, look, mom, no curse. <laughs> I was uh, I was breaking the forbidden wall way right. back. <laughs> yes. And, and look, Ryan, you know the deal. When that live TV show, you know, where it was Monday Night Wars, right? And so Monday night, they're watching Raw. We're at uh, Nitro, and, and they have a monitor over here that's watching Raw. And you go to Raw, they got a monitor over here watching it. And, there's, <laughs> and there we are watching my brother walk down. And <laughs> look, Mom, no curse. Yeah, it was, uh, it's, you know. It's definitely all about wanting everybody to succeed and wanting, you know, being being uh, proud of who we are and you conduct business like I, I'll never forget. I told dad one time that they want me to do a job and he said, do a job. You got a job, don't you? Right. And I, I, it made me just think different, like, oh, he's right, man. This is all a big act and, and, and you play your role. And if you get caught up in. I don't know, man. I don't know. That ain't me. I was never the guy. That's why I wasn't a top guy because I, that ain't me. I don't think like that. I don't play like that. No, me, me either. <laughs> okay, so Scott, you were you were at WCW. Things are heating up. All of this is going on. Monday Night Wars are in full effect. Was there a moment when you knew the WWF was going to overtake WCW and take back the throne? Yes. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, I was I was about four months from the end of my contract, and Terry Taylor had come in as the uh, Booker head writer, whatever you want to call it, back in those days. And and Terry literally called me at home and said, "Scott, uh, we want to pay you out of your contract, or we can send you your check every two weeks, or uh, you can keep coming for the next four months and just getting beat on TV. But if you want to go home and try to." get your body, you know, or to change or something to go talk to Vince, then, you know, uh, you can go home and I'll, we'll pay you for the next four months. And I went, uh, yeah, don't pay me one check. Just keep my check coming every two weeks. Cause look, anybody that knows an old wrestler, don't give me a chunk of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please don't. And so, um, so I, came home and I started working out and really trying to, I bleached my hair as white. I mean, cotton top. I, I did everything I could do to try to change my look. And literally for three months and three weeks go by, the last check is coming and Nitro's just gone off the air. And I get a phone call from Nick Patrick and he said, Hey man, they're looking for uh, referees and your name came up. Would you be interested? Well, any wrestler will tell you, as soon as you make the commitment to be a referee, you're never looked at the same again as far as being a wrestler. And, you know, I just thought, ah, I'm about to be 40 and blah, blah, blah. So I said, I called the next. He said, just call Terry. Think about it tonight. Call Terry tomorrow. So I called Terry and he said, yeah, sure, man. Um, and I started at like, I don't know, Halloween Havoc. I mean, I as a referee and never refed a match, you know, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. And so, um, I mean, <laughs> None I, of us do. I, I, right. And so, uh, I refed a match and, and Nick Patrick helped me so much, but get to it, to get to your question, we get to Knoxville, Tennessee, and it was the exact same day that, um, uh, Oh gosh, what was the race car driver that got killed in the wreck? Uh, his son ended up being a big star. Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt. Yep. Uh, 
because well, everybody's talking about in the locker room. We had an afternoon show and everybody's talking about the locker room. And the very next thing was, hey, guys, in three weeks, this is done. And everybody went, wait, what? They said, yeah, in three weeks, WCW will be no more. And then the very last show, you know, it was Panama City. Well, that's 90 mile drive from my house. So I drove to Panama City and came the famous, <laughs> these famous words in the wrestling business. Um, Shane McMahon had a meeting with everybody and he said, look, 60 dudes in there, Booker T. I mean, so many of us. And he said, look, nobody has anything to worry about. You're all going to be good and taken care of. Well, I'd been in the business long enough to know that is the kiss of death. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I literally remember um, coming home and telling my wife, I'm done. And I was 40. And she said, oh, no, no. Well, if he said that. And I just said, no, <laughs> maybe you don't you don't know the, this business like I do. I'm done. And I think they took, you know three refs. We had like six or seven, and I think they took three, and I was not one of them. <laughs> and so um, about five years later, though, um, Umaga walks in and says, uh, I was working in a furniture store. I was the manager, and he walks in and says, oh, no, man, there's no Armstrong ever supposed to be selling furniture. You're supposed to be in the wrestling business. And I went, no, dude, I'm, I'm home every night. I'm doing homework with the kids, having dinner. And, I, and he said, yeah, I'm not buying any of that. And about three weeks later, he walked back in and said, here's John Lauren. I just phone number. He said, call him. I said, dude, man. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> that was 2006 when he walked into the furniture store and did all you that. You meet some great people in this business. Yep. You meet some You meet some snakes in the grass, too. But the good outweigh the bad. Oh, man. I owe him everything. Bless his heart. God rest his soul. Wow. I mean, I was going to try to make a clever transition into something when we were talking about the heavier stuff and be like a stiff shot of reality. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You ruined it with your with your good feeling story. Stiff and strong. Two styles of wrestling and two words you want to represent you in the bedroom. And that's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime. There's the music. We're in yeah. the mood now, yeah. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead. Or be take them anytime. When opportunity arises. Arises, he said. <laughs> the process is simple. Sign up at bluetooth.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. A discreet package, but nothing will be discreet about your package. It's all done online with no doctor's <laughs> office, no awkward <laughs> conversation, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. It's time to get off the couch and back to work. Because if your tool needs an upgrade, head to BlueChew.com. If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, BlueChew can help. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code DOG at checkout. 
Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com. Promo code DOG to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Bluetooth yeah. for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you, Bluetooth. <laughs> Speaking of Bluetooth, you used to be known as the hashtag hard body ref. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, hard. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> was there a question in there or would you just no, think it was a clever segue? I just thought it was a fun segue. <laughs> it, it was. was. It was. Very clever. <laughs> You talked earlier about the workout, uh, you know, discipline in your house, and and we saw the physiques of you and your brothers. So, so dog, what was what, the difference? What, in what you? are you saying? What, are you, what is what is this? Where is this conversation going? You may be strong, but they're a little bit more defined. Okay, so this is <laughs> fat shaming. This is about you fat shaming me right now. Uh, no, no, it was look at what is. Truth be told, it was for all three of my brothers and my father and still is for mo- for I think everybody uh, for you and Stevie anyway Scotty a, a part of y'all's life like you work out that's part of your deal yeah. um, it wasn't a part of mine you know what I mean <laughs> like it was a, I went in the military and we did a lot of running and stuff like that and I, and I you know but back in the day I used to work out a little but it just never became like a part of my life um, and Ryan that's why I'm fat <laughs> I get it struggling man it's been like eight years that's why my cholesterol is high that's why i have hypertension those are going to be our next sponsors is uh lipitor (laughs) (laughs) all right we're back with scott armstrong big brother to the road dog and it's time to get into your transition from wrestler to referee how did it all happen? You kind of were talking about it before the break, so let's elaborate a little bit more. Yeah. So, uh, look after um, after I made that phone call to John Laurinaitis, uh, per Umaga, uh, Eki, I made that phone call and he said uh, we want to bring him for a tryout. And I said, Oh man, I I look, I'd met Johnny, nineteen ninety one uh, on a long japan tour i'd known johnny for a long time and uh, so that was 91 and we were in japan but so 2006 and he said yeah bring you in for a tryout as a ref and i said yeah i'm not i just need to know i got a job because i'm quitting a job and he said okay well come on and you know i didn't know it, <laughs> they could just fire okay up. then right you're hired so, and but i came in and uh i did the the you know ECW 2.0 or ECW Lite or whatever the WWE version of WWE ECW <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes and so I did I I did that for about gosh about six months and then um, and the day the day everything changed um, there was a, at that time we were branded referees so there may be seven matches on the card but there would be you know, three Raw matches and three SmackDown matches and one ECW match. And it'd be like the third match of the night or second match of the night. And so uh, so I just would fly to the town, do one match, and I was done. And so one of these SmackDown referees didn't make it. And so they said, hey, uh, Scott, can you ref the girls? Well, it was uh, Natalia against Victoria. Lisa, do you, I, you know who I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And so... I said, okay. And so we, 
I didn't realize that they were, you know, kind of rookies. And so we get into the match and they were just, I mean, they were just in a hold and uh, Natty was, you know, I don't know, just green. And I just looked at her and pointed at her and said, I said, look at me. I said, shake your finger just like this and point at me. And, you know, the fans don't know what I'm doing. They just see the referee and they're doing that. And she started doing it and the people started getting louder. And louder. <laughs> I looked at her and I said, do you hear that? It's funny how that said, works. Let's go to work. And they started coming up and I looked, <laughs> looked at Victoria because it, it was like they didn't have anything to go into. And I said, what if I just walk around in front of you and you pull her tights back down? <laughs> and she literally went, okay. And I walked around, she pulled her tights down the people, boo, boo. And I just <laughs> looked at them and I said, Hey Natty, let's do the finger thing one more time. She started doing it, started coming up. So literally we get to TV and one of the refs goes, Hey, Lauren, I just wants to see you in his office. Well, I'm already thinking, Man, I just quit that job, and now he's gonna. <laughs> and I, I Immediately in, in my mind, I was already doomed, and I walked in his office, and there sat uh, Victoria and Natty, and I said, "Hey, ladies," and he said, "The girls said that uh, you were the referee, and and they that you helped them out a lot." And I went, I just said, "Oh yeah, we had fun." You know, I didn't know exactly what they were talking about. I knew we'd done a couple of things in the in the match, but. And they said, and he said, okay, thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. Scott, stay here with me. Man, he doubled my money and made me a SmackDown referee right there. <laughs> and, and I started into the whole referee gimmick and, you know, very fortunate to be able to do some, you know, mania main event stuff uh, with Triple H. And just I literally when people ask me, hey, man, uh, I, I think of Umaga and Natty and Victoria without, you know, I look, I'm, I'm a believer. And so I, I believe God puts people in your path that he wants in your path. And I can't, when I think of Umaga and I'm sorry to get all real again, but um, <laughs> Umaga and, and those two girls, holy mackerel, man, I tell people that those two girls changed my, my wife was already saying, Hey, so, I think you're making about as much money at the furniture store as you are refereeing with ECW. And I said, no, was, you know, look, I furniture store is okay, but I love wrestling. I, yeah. I didn't care if it didn't pay anything. I would have done it. I mean, I love it. I still do. And so, although now I'm not going to do it for nothing. And <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I owe those girls. I, t I Every time I see them, I always – Tell them thank you so much for everything. They probably I was uh, I was with Victoria Scotty in uh, in Liverpool, and uh, and she talked all about you and said, "Oh, please tell him hello." Oh, and please, so it was very, it was very cool. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. you know, my kids and everything changed changed our life. Really, did. yeah. Wonderful moments. We'll continue talking about your time in WWE in a little bit as we close the episode, but I want to jump over to TNA and your time working there. How did that come about? Was that just based on your relationship with Jeff Jarrett or? It, it was based on Brian's relationship with Jeff. <laughs> yeah, Jeff, I mean, Jeff called me, but it was, you know, it was him and Brian were boys and he just called yep. and said, Hey, look, we, 
um, we need some referees and uh, I want you to come and be the main ref and I want you to sit in on the production meetings. And, and uh, I said, yeah, sure, man, I'll, I'll be glad to. And so I think, how long was that, Brian? About a year? Probably or yeah, that we drove to uh eight to Nashville every week. <laughs> eight hours. Percy Pringle made a couple of those drives with us. We talked about the other day. Yes, he did. did you have some lunch at the White Trash Cafe? Yeah. We sure did. We sure yes. did. Yes, and that's some good food too. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it in. was. How, how cool was it to be back working with your family again? You had Brian. You had your dad there. It was. Was it neat to be kind of have the boys back together in that sense? Oh, for me, I love traveling with my, you know, and telling stories and, and just lying and laughing, you know, I mean, that you know, <laughs> family, right? I mean, it's funny because um, throughout this business, I've had many wrestlers say, yeah, I don't get along with my brothers at all. Or I don't get along with my sister or, or yeah, I, I don't know my parents. I, and I always say, well, you know, the wrestling business, you can just like, like Regal. I'm, I'm like this with Regal. And, but then you add an actual family member that's in the wrestling business and you just become, it's, it's crazy how it is. Um, but you think about the boys or the, the girls or whatever, and, and they just become really good friends. And, you know, at the same time, we, we like, hey, I, I got to move. I need help. And all the other wrestlers go, yeah, I can't help you. Well, you brother, <laughs> they can tell you. No, yeah, they can. They got to help. Yes. <laughs> what, what was your time in TNA like? Um, so uh, Rudy Charles was one of the uh, referees that they hired at the time. And he. Dan Angler. Dan yeah, Angler, yeah. right. Dangerous Dan. And so. Um, and he, I think he's now with WWE, right? Isn't he still with them? Yes. And so, um, he had, he came in and, and Jeff said, Hey, this kid doesn't know anything, but he's local. We're going to use him. So can you teach him? And I said, yeah, sure. And man, he also did a lot of administrative stuff for Jeff. Yes. Like he was good. So, so Jeff wanted to look, if we got something in house, let's use, utilize our resources, you yeah. know, as conservatively as possible. And, and, and his, and Rudy's career or Dan Engler, his career just, just kept going and going and going. And then, uh, um, I was, had been in WWE for a while and I had the opportunity to finally say, Hey, this guy's really good. And, and so they gave him a chance and now he's there, but, the whole TNA, look, we drive up there eight hours and do the show and drive eight hours. Well, we drive the night before, right, Brian? We get a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then get there. And uh, uh, yeah, it was a track, but it was us. It was me and Scotty and dad. Yeah. And, and maybe, like I said, Percy made a couple of trips with us, yeah. but not that many. It was kind of just us. You know Our what I mean? Dad was a, a, a friggin' NASCAR race driver. I'm telling you, he, he was behind the wheel. And I'll never forget one time. We're going through, uh, we're going through Birmingham or towards Birmingham, I think. And it, and there's like three lanes and all of a sudden there's the sign that says merge left into the, <laughs> and, and I'm going, Hey dad, Hey dad, Hey dad. And I'm getting a little bit later and Percy's in the back seat, and I'm going dad, dad, because that lane's <laughs> running out and there are cars everywhere. And all of a sudden he just threads the needle and I'm going, 
dad, dad, and back against the thing. And Percy is laughing hysterically. <laughs> and after that, every time I saw him, he'd go, oh, dad, oh, dad, oh, dad. <laughs> oh, he was a good man, too. He was. He was. But, um, yeah. Yeah. TNA was fun. It was, it was just, uh, it was just going up there and doing the dang thing, you know. Kurt Henning came in there for a while and, yeah. and we, and, and we never got to, um, like in WCW, we were around him a lot, but, but not like when he was TNA. I'd never met Kurt before, before TNA. Oh. But, but like the first time we are, like the first time I met him, it was like I'd known him forever because he was just like one of the boys. You know what I mean? He was just like one of the one of the James boys, yeah. you know, so uh, just that Wisconsin redneck kind of. Yes. <laughs> Always one of my favorites. He came yeah, my the, one of my favorite wrestlers. TNA, his first day in, and, and uh, he came in and literally we heard him downstairs going, where are the Armstrongs dressing? And because we would dress and like we'd try to find a corner, a cubby hole, and just that was the Armstrong. Put our stuff we'd hide out over in the corner. Right. And here he come up the steps. He goes, there they are. He yeah, he sat right with us and he fit right in. His son's the same way, man. His same way, yeah. Good, good people. Why did it end in TNA? Uh power change I, the, I mean yeah the truth the truth truth be told the day that we that we quit um so i guess uh you know i i was still in active addiction at the time and so uh i was supposed to beat the guy or i was supposed to get wrestle the guy that like came in second on tough enough and the guy was going to beat me and i guess they were going to run with the guy or something and, and at that time i wasn't thinking about oh well the company needs me to do this because <laughs> you know they're going to give this guy a shove i just told him no and uh and that was the the first time i think i ever said yeah i don't think that's what I'm going to do. And truth be told, I think my active addiction had more to do with it than the creative decisions. But it, I just thought I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to drive back to Pensacola and I'm going to take everything I got and smoke everything I got and do it. You know what I mean? And I'm going to do things my way by God. And here I am again, unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I'm a genius when it comes to business strategy. I remember, <laughs> I remember saying, uh, well, Brian, let's at least, uh, you know, we got to tell Jerry, uh, Jer Jeff Jarrett's dad, Jerry Jarrett. And uh, Jerry Jarrett's a good dude. And he was yeah. always another guy, always good to me. And and I said, uh, you know, we owe it to him, uh, you know, <laughs> to just go get in the car and drive back. And Brian said, okay. You crank the car, it's cold out. So if you crank get it warm, I'll be right back. I'll tell you. <laughs> so uh, so he, I, I, I remember I sat in the car for like 15 minutes and I walked back in and I looked through the curtain and there's Brian and Jerry sitting like on the first row of an empty building. And I see Brian stand up and start walking. So I just went back and got in the car and he goes, okay, let's go. <laughs> yeah, just like, just like I did with uh, – with his son years before, you know what I mean? It was just like, oh, this dumbass will just walk out. <laughs> he don't care. Yeah. All right, we got one more phase of this WWE run to talk about, and I think we can get into it when we come back from this little break with words from our sponsor. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? 
If you don't have a plan, you need to go to goliathlife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to goliathlife.com. We're back. And Scott, you refereed a lot of big matches in your time in WWE. Do you have any that stick out as your favorites? Oh, yes, definitely. I, I can tell you my very favorite. Um, it was the Undertaker's Rest in Peace tour. It was his very last tour of the UK. Um, and he he was working main event every night against Big Show. And, and I was repping the match. And we were in uh, London's O2 Arena. So, listen, the, that Rest in Peace tour, I had in my career, I'd never been on sellout after sellout after sellout. And every town sold out, every one of them. And, and so, but this one stood out because that O2 Arena, that w- that's the arena that Michael Jackson had, you know, 50 concerts in a row booked uh, at the time when he passed he had those 50 dates and that the acoustics in that arena. I don't know why it's just one of my favorite arenas anyway. And so, uh, I remember I'm standing in the ring, big show comes out. He, you know, he, they know he's working undertaker, huge booze, uh, just, just giving him the business and he gets in the ring and I'm standing in one corner and he's away from me. And all of a sudden those lights go out and you hear that first <laughs> gong gong that building it was it was deaf and i'm not kidding you it was deafening and because the ring you know sits in the center of all those people of course and all of a sudden big show had in that pitch black darkness had walked all the way over to me and he yelled he literally yelled in my ear and said this is awesome and, and he was I was feeling the same thing. It was. Yeah. Man, it was, it's that palpable. I always say that because I learned what it meant. But I always say that because also it's like that's an energy that you literally can feel through your body. And I've stood in the middle of that ring and and had his music hit before. And it is a it's something to behold, the, you know, the crowd literally. I mean, you know, each each night they got great reactions, but something about the vibe that night i've never forgotten it i mean ever i mean that that match and then another the other match that that i think about my wrestling career being the top thing was um me and my brother steve versus dory and terry funk and we had mm-hmm. a dad in our corner and they had jim Cornette in their corner and you know dory and terry two dudes that i literally idolized growing up i mean brothers like me and my brothers and their dad was a wrestler like my dad i mean man they were and i had no clue how stiff they were (laughs) (laughs) oh Oh, i don't know when that was but i could have told you about terry (laughs) it's just a headlock you wanted to tap out Um, but but yeah the the, that match in o2 arena with those two dudes i'll never i'll never forget it i mean i'll tell that story more than just today And it's more than just about the the uh, the the match itself. You know what I mean? It's about the the moment. It's about that moment is special. And I'm sure they didn't have a five star match. You know what I mean? As far as (laughs) as far as Uncle Dave's concerned. But that moment 
to, to be there and be present for that is uh, is a special, special thing. It was awesome to me for sure. Scott, what happened with your first release from the company in 2010? I was just an idiot. I was, <laughs> I, I was just an idiot running my mouth and, and acting a fool. And um, it's like Brian said, you, you think, oh, I'm, at the time, I'm the best ref in the history of the business. There's no way they can get rid of me and have a, you know, and have a good referee. And <laughs> the show still went on and every referee there was, I'm sure glad I was gone. I'd, I'd just become a nuisance and, you know, you got to grow up. And I, I didn't get hired there until I was 45 years old and you don't hire anybody at 45 to put in front of the camera you hire that guy to be behind the camera and i just had run my course and i had to sit at home for a little while and realize yeah maybe i need to uh figure this out and i don't know about 10 and a half months later i get a phone call hey would you be interested your names come back up and i said yeah and Buddy, when they brought me back, I started at the very bottom of the pay scale and had to prove myself like I was a rookie, first time ever being in the business. And I did. I kept my mouth shut and and I did the very best I could. And it just started going forward. And after, I don't know, a couple of years, I guess, I put my name out there and said, hey, I'd be interested in producing, too, if, if that's available uh, anytime. And it was probably two years after that uh, when I was approached and said, hey, look, uh, I'd like for you to start sitting in on production meetings. In the meantime, we're going to go ahead and write you uh, off the TV show. And, you know, referees didn't get written off of a TV show. Referees don't get written about at all. <laughs> referees don't sell tickets. They just give them away. <laughs> yeah, but you had been involved in some stuff with, with, the, uh, yeah, with, the, with the corporation or whatever what were they called. <laughs> You had a semi-heel run working for the authority. Uh, the authority, the authority, yeah. And then a heel spot moment at WrestleMania 30's main event between Daniel Bryan, Batista, and Randy Orton. Was that probably the biggest moment of your career just based on sheer size of that arena? Yeah, and viewership too. You know what I mean? I mean, that 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 was a huge, huge spot. And I, I remember I was literally – I had my referee shirt on and just a black t-shirt on and I walked up and just kind of sat down on the second row uh, and they had put a chair out there and nobody was paying attention around. You know, you just think somebody's going to go, well, Hey, here's the referee because I'd been on TV doing the angle, uh, you know, with those guys and stuff and, and not one person, they were just into the match. I mean, into it. And all of a sudden I, saw my spot come and then I heard Hunter look at stuff and go, where's Scott? <laughs> and I dun, 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 took the shirt off and the barrier and um, there he is. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, it was, it was really cool. It, it was really cool. My, you know, my wife and kids were there and, and it was just a cool moment. Yeah, having it was a very the, cool moment for Daniel Bryan, for dang sure. Having had the chance to do it all, to be a referee, to be a producer, to be a wrestler, is there anything that you preferred more? Which one oh, leads? Without, dude, without a doubt, refereeing was so much fun. Now, that could be because I had wrestled for 22 years prior. You know what I mean? I, 
the ring was the ring's my home. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it just is. I've done it, been in this business 38 years since my first match. And so uh, that's the ring's just the office. You go clock in when you climb through those ropes and you get comfortable there. And as a referee, uh, if you really think about it, people go, oh, that referee did so-and-so. Well, I promise you, when they say that, that's the only time the entire match they looked at the referee. Nobody looks at the ref. They just don't. And and so I was able to really relax. And, you know, look, if if I see somebody so gassed on the ground and they're, they're selling it, but you look at them and you see, my God, he may throw up right here. I could step in and go, hey, man, look at me. Take a breath. Take, breathe. Breathe. And, you you know, when you see somebody relax the muscles in their face and go, ah, you, and then, then they go on and have a great... It sounds, it sounds psychotic that you would have to tell somebody to breathe during life. You know what I mean? But the truth of it is you get hung up on the, on the adrenaline and on the nerves and you, it helps for, I know I was on the, in a, either in a rear chin lock or had a rear chin lock on one of the Usos somewhere. And Scotty, you were, or it may have been, it may have been you, somebody else. No, it was me. It was in the UK, you and Billy. It was your last loop with Billy. I was so blown up and, and, and he would just say, Hey, just look at me, breathe, just breathe. And it just helps to go. You bring, brings me back down to earth for a second in the reality. Like if I don't breathe, I'm going to, I'm going to die here. So, yeah. Oh, and and then you can just sit there for a minute and catch your breath. But yeah, that was so important to me. And it sounds crazy, but it's, and right. uh, man, a referee, the, the third man in the ring or the or the fifth man in a tag team situation, or let's go down the line, or a the 11th man, a 10-man tag. Uh, yeah. But uh, but so important, man. I read somebody posted this the other day on Twitter, and it was like, this is, be sure and thank your refs. It might have been Cody Diener, to be quite honest. So be sure and thank your refs, because, man, a, a good one can make a match great, and a bad one can make a great match the crap. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah. So, so, yeah, I always thank your referee for me uh selfishly refereeing i got to work if, if we did a live event and we only had two refs i'd get to do three or four matches so i got right. to work with almost everybody but when you wrestled you only work with one guy or if you're in a tag you know two guys and your partner and so that always enjoyed working with everybody and so talk, talking about working with everybody who are your favorite people to work with as a referee Oh gosh, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> um, An exclusive on you. Oh, you look, you look so much like Dad right now. <laughs> Are my arms as big as his. Oh well, they're bigger than mine. I can tell you that um, much. Gosh, man, I, uh, I, I mean, look, it, I always, I, I, and this is going to sound like, oh, he's kissing his butt, and I, but I always enjoyed working with Hunter because he always had good matches and I always enjoyed being part of a good match. I'll tell you a match that I really enjoyed. Um, when I started with ECW, CM Punk wrestled. Do you remember Mike Knox? Yeah. yeah. They wrestled each other about 20 minutes, like in Schenectady or, I mean, some town that you, they don't even go to. And, but ECW was going to it. And those dudes went about 20 minutes and one of the best Matt wrestling Oh man! I mean, it's. I told Punk. I said, "Dude, you you missed your calling. He he should have been in the '80s because that was what they were doing right then. He, he should have been with me." And uh, another one, 
um, Matt Hardy against um, uh, Ali. What, what's his name? Uh, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. They, they Mustafa were, Ali. were a live event, and I said, "Hey, uh, I was one of the producers." They went out there and just tore. The, they were on Lake Second and just tore the house down. They came back, and I said, "Guys, I, I don't know that that can be followed." I mean, it it was like that. It was that. I'm, yeah, never, I would always hate to be. Ne- if I was next, I would have yelled at him. Right, right. <laughs> yes. I mean, you go out there and get over. What the crap? Now I got to follow that. But here I am all this time later, and I vividly remember those two matches for sure. Because Scotty, let me let me ask a question, if you don't mind. I don't, I don't think I've ever asked you this. Have you ever – so did you sit in when they were putting the matches together a lot? Uh, not, not really with ECW. I just would say – What's the finish? You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess I mean when you started putting, you know what I mean? When you started going on SmackDown and you started doing some of these for pay-per-views. Events, no. Yeah. For, so uh, so did, did you ever uh, have any input on any matches that you were just kind of listening to, I guess? Um, you know, I, the person that asked me the most would be like Vince, like for TVs or something. But, I mean, yeah. He would ask me. Well, what do you think about that? What would you What would you do right there? What would you? And I always felt that always made me feel good. Like, hey man, yeah, you know what I mean. And, and he's asking. Yeah, and and Hunter did that a lot too. But like, um, you know, as a referee, I just didn't. I didn't want to get in any. I knew they knew what they wanted. Yeah, yeah, dude. All I got. I mean, look, you cover the guy. I'm gonna count. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so also a reason that I think you probably liked Hunter's matches was he. And look, this is just how it is. He had a little uh, leeway, and he could use some bells and whistles. Yeah. And sometimes that included a ref bump or a, yeah. uh, you know, a, something. So there was always something cool you could sink your teeth into. Yeah, you know, pace, when he had a match with him, his, his pace was good. To, you know what I mean? Or, yeah, his pace yeah. always it flowed. And and it always felt good to me. Anyway, I didn't blow up. <laughs> well, it was like Harley Race, uh, but yes. but like a little little more up tempo than that. But that's who he was methodical like that. Yes, very much, very much. Having a lifetime of experience in the business and as a fan of the business, you got to be a part of Sting's first appearance in WWE. Was that exciting for you? It was cool to see him. It really was because I'd seen him in our in our youth. You know what I mean? We uh, WCW, and and he and Brad were um, really tight, and so it was it was cool to it was cool of him to, to, for him to be there because now we were older. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think we're close to the same age. I'm, I, I think we are. But anyway. Um, yep, he's 104 too. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 uh, hey, look, man, it's like Tom Brady. I pull for the old guys now. <laughs> I was yeah, yeah. Good. But yeah, he, look, he was all, another dude that was always good to me. I remember in 91 when I was in Japan, he was the one that told me um, they had just started Brad doing the Arachna Man, you know, with like Spider Man. Right. It was gold and purple, and he threw out streamers that looked like a web and all that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> and so he was the one. Uh, we're in a gym working out, um, and we're on tour, and all and all of a sudden, in walks the Steiners and Sting. We said, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" And they and Sting goes, "Hey, did you talk to your brother?" And I said, "No, I've been over here about two weeks." He said. Yeah, they've already got a cease and desist from Marvel. <laughs> he can't, he can't do the Spider-Man <laughs> gimmick anymore. I said, oh, I knew he was broken hearted. He, you know, Brad had ten gimmicks, and he made yeah. them all work. But 
Something like that. That's why they kept trying to put him on him because he was so good. It was just like we can't. It's a it's a dang shame to not have him on television right. in some way, shape, or form. Yes. You know. All right, Scott. I'd be doing our listeners a disservice if I didn't ask. You spent 15 years with WWE until your release earlier this year. What are your thoughts on what happened? Well, I said, look, corporate downsizing. I get it. It's a it's a multi billion dollar W. I totally get it. And, and look, anybody that, that gets to be, look, I'll be 61 and I don't even know what today is, but in about a week, uh, Oh, you know what? A week from tomorrow, I'll be 61. Which means last week. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So Sting is 63. He is 63. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I have no idea when this airs. I just know that, uh, I'll be 61 in, on May the 4th. Uh, yep. You'll be 61 when it airs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, edit this part out. All right, so, but, so um, what were we talking about? Geez, now I've done BS. This is where we, this is where we say bong, bong chair shots and bong <laughs> resin. Bong resin. <laughs> <laughs> I had a sound effect. Little, little too much, little too much, little too much of both in in my youth. Yes, a lot. We were just talking about what happened. You brought up corporate downsizing. So it made yeah. sense to you in yeah, that sense. It, it did. I mean, look at, at the end of the day, um, in every lifetime, there are, they find a guy that's 30 that'll do it for, a quarter of the money and they realize, Oh, Hey, you know what? You had your run. Thanks for coming. Hey, look, I have nothing but thank you for everything. It, it changed my looking uh, for somebody that just loves the business. Like I do, I, me and my wife sold, I got injured early in my career and me and my, my new wife sold tickets. I was a ring announcer. Uh, for Continental for a little while. I, I mean, the guy on TV with the tie going, ah, oh, welcome to Boutwell Auditorium. I was that guy. I wrestled. I refereed. I was a producer. Um, I was able to do everything in this business that I could ever want to do. At the same time, 35 years later, still married to the same woman, uh, two, put two kids through college, uh, got an awesome four-year-old grandson that plays t-ball and hit the ball <laughs> hit the ball the other day and ran straight to the pitcher's mound <laughs> and that's a and honestly that's better than any friggin wrestlemania moment well, you yeah, you could imagine without a doubt i mean it, it, it so to the business i just say thank you i i, I mean amen man, I, I can't i can't say look the ups and the downs that's just life. You're going to have. Yeah, that's well, that's that's if you work at any anything. company, 7-Eleven, work the mall. It doesn't matter. Life hits you hard sometimes and it hands you, uh, you know, roses sometimes. And and look, man, it, it was a at least I got to do it when I was young and really enjoy it. I got to ride camels at the foot of the friggin Egyptian pyramids, man. I mean, I got <laughs> me and our thanks to thanks to WWE. You know what I mean? Yes. Thanks to wrestling. You know what I mean? And so. I mean, the, the places I've been and the things I've done, man, I I can't say anything but thank you, and I'm totally grateful. It's, yeah, it's been the ride of a lifetime. And I, I look, I, I started back doing the indies. I, I refereed this this um, last week, and I'll be refereeing. By the time this airs, I may referee a couple times. <laughs> are you going to super kick anybody? No, I can't get my leg no higher. <laughs> You're going to give them the sweet shin music. <laughs> 
Shin, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Shin and no maki. I had to take a class on how to count to three. having had the chance to do everything let's go into this last question and talk about one more thing you got to do and that was induct your father into the wwe hall of fame had to be a tremendous honor for both of you oh dude i I literally was sitting at home and the phone rings and it was john laurinitis and he said hey and wrestlemania was coming to atlanta and that's where my dad's career started and and flourished and and you know brad really became a star there too because he got on that that tv when uh when it went uh you know cable huge and so um john laurinitis called me and said hey i'm about to call your dad and put him in the hall of fame and i went oh i I mean man you know look you he in my dad's hall of fame speech he said i just want to say thank you for letting this old war horse do his thing and i thought man anybody that's ever seen that movie war horse that's what you do you just work hard as you can and then they just put you then you're just done and, and you just <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah everyone gets put out to pasture right right <laughs> that's and, the truth and, and when you think about that you know his career span what 50 50 plus years and you think about how how could you do what we do or have done with your body and still be able to walk upright? And that's, I mean, people can't imagine that. They go, oh, yeah, that's all this and it's all, well, whatever. I mean, <laughs> yeah, tell my knees and my lower back that. Welcome to your opinion. But I'll never forget in my early 20s having a, I broke some, I was at the doctor and the doctor looked at me and he knew who I was and he knew our family. And he said, I just have to tell you, you know, the human body is not supposed to do what you and your family do. You know that, right? <laughs> and, you know, I'm in my 20s. Hey, dude, shut up and give me pills. Yeah, shut up and give me some pills. It was very, um, uh, but I never forgot that moment either because he's right. The, how can you how can you tell somebody? Oh yeah, I, I drove five hours and then um, you know wrestled fifteen minutes and I took eight. Yeah, then I ran months. as fast as I could and got knocked down and then I stood right. up and hit another man and then that man hit me back yeah, and like that's that's not yeah that's not what you do. Yeah, I drove for five more hours. Yeah, that's not what people at AT and T do. You know what I mean? So fake fake as you want to be but uh but you're still falling and and getting hurt you know and so i um to be able to stand on that stage and look out at that crowd and see him standing there and i'm there with my brothers and i and and hear him do his speech and think man this hey for my mom too they should have given her a ring because she raised you know five wrestlers basically you know four sons and him and and yeah, she had five boys. And, and the one thing about uh, Ryan, and I'm sure the listeners know, or viewers too, uh, wrestling is is has been my mistress. You know what I mean? And and my wife has allowed me to have that mistress because look, we've had ups and downs financially uh, in in the wrestling business, and and you do the indies back in the day. I did the indies, and you drive and then get duped on your money, and then I mean. Look, it's just part of the business. It just is. And so um, the the love of the game, at the end of it, that's what it is. It's the love of the game. And to see him stand up there and get that was like, you know, that's 
an amazing and to do it with with family and our mom in the audience and let her be a part of that moment i'll never forget it as a matter of fact i have a shelf in my living room uh that has his hall of fame plaque and his hall of fame ring is in a a thing an uh, engraved box that my son just said hey i got granddad something and (laughs) what is it and he showed me and i went Oh, dude, he's going to love. And then Brian and you got one. Yeah. Then I said, Hey, where'd you get that at? And I ended up getting one that says road dog that holds my, my hall of fame ring. So, so for me, look, I've said this before and I'll say it again. That was the most real moment for me that I ever had in the wrestling industry. Like a lot of, I had a lot of really cool things go down and be a part of and all that. But, but like, that was the, that was the time where a bunch of people said, Hey, who could we say was really good at this stuff and 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 who who is you know would would pop a crowd in atlanta and who would whatever and and somebody came up with bob armstrong and that's that's real you can't you know what i mean he yeah. his his career stands for itself and that was somebody really decided to do that and i and we me and scotty and brad and, and i wish stevie would have been there too but we we got to announce him into the hall of fame man it was it was the coolest moment uh, yeah. To me, in wrestling ever, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it was cool to let him get acknowledged for what his his life of work. Yeah, for all his sacrifice, yeah. for our sacrifice right. of, you know, and now for our children and grandchildren's sacrifice because we're gone all the time, you know what I mean? So it's, uh Bullet who, Bob, Brad, Scott, Steve, Brian, do you think we'll see the Armstrong family inducted as a family at some point based on your contributions to the history of this business? I'd, I'd like to step on that because I've said it before and I, and I, and I, I want to kind of clarify, look, I don't, I don't think we ever will because I don't think the wrestler, the wrestling, not the fans. I don't mean the fans. I mean, the wrestling uh, powers that be doesn't look at our family like that. I, I, I really believe that with all, all my heart. I, and I just think they overlook us. I don't think we get the credit we get. And again, that's not from the fans. The fans in uh, the Southeast will fight you over some Bob Armstrong <laughs> stuff. So so we, we uh, I just feel like, look, I don't feel like me and Billy will get it either. I feel like uh, it's definitely, so, so, you know, on our own. It's definitely some politics go involved in it. And, and, and I just don't know that our family's going to get uh, brought up in that conversation. I, I think we should. I just don't think we will. And that's I wanted to clarify that, that I didn't say that the fans don't appreciate us. I just feel like the powers that be in the world of, of wrestling today may not. Hey, screw Brian. I want a ring. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like another one as well. I'm just saying, I just don't know, you know, yeah, no, that's I, all. I, I don't know if you feel differently. I totally. No, I totally get what you're saying for sure. Uh, I still want the ring. <laughs> <laughs> you can wear mine. Scott, this has been a ton of fun, informative, entertaining, just, just listening to you talk about it and seeing your energy and seeing your passion and your smile talking about these things. It's just infectious and fun to be a part of, man. I appreciate it, Ryan. It's good to see you again, man. I'm sorry we parted ways the way it all happened. <laughs>
I didn't feel so bad fifteen of us at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I said earlier. Is like I'm not retired. I'm unemployed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Talk, and there we have another week. And I got to say, this one was pretty good, man. It was. It was really fun. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how long we've been, but it feels like we. You know, it feels like we just started. Tell you the truth, but but look, I appreciate you coming on, uh, Scotty. Um, I love you. I always have and I always will. I look up to you. I respect you because you always had a business acumen about you like like I, I feel like Jeff has and, and uh, Hunter always kind of had. I didn't have that. I was just party and have fun and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm, I'm coming late to the game. But thanks for coming on and talking about your career. And it just gives me a different perspective, too, because, uh, you know, we don't. I don't think we sit down and talk about stinking wrestling when we see, when we see each other. You know what I mean? I mean, we might have a conversation, you know, a, a paragraph about it, but it's not like it was very interesting to hear your take on, on a lot of that stuff. So I appreciate you coming on. Oh man, thanks. I appreciate you having me, dude. It's uh, it, it was definitely fun to talk about all the old times. I appreciate. Hey, tell them about the time I bought you a car. Yeah, that's a true story. That's a true story. He bought my first car for me. I wasn't even 16 yet. I was 15. And it was an orange Ford EXP. I couldn't remember and, what it was. Yeah, it was an orange Ford EXP, and I think it was an 86. But it was a hatchback. It was like only uh, – not a hatchback. It was uh, – I forget what they call it. But it was just a two seater, and the back was it was it was awesome. Brad, Brad, Brad had just just bought Steve a car when Steve turned sixteen, and I couldn't be one up. So when Brian, Brian <laughs> he bought me my, for my first car. <laughs> I appreciated uh, it too. All right, I awesome. love you, dude. Ryan, yeah, I love you too, you, Scotty. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you as well. And as we wrap things up, if you're in Florida this weekend, come check me out at Boca Raton Championship Wrestling, where Florida's finest will compete. <laughs> check out BocaRatonWrestling.com for tickets and info to see Impact Steve Macklin, AEW Cesar Bononi, former NXT superstars Kona Reeves and MJ Jenkins, not to mention Brutus the barber beefcake. <laughs> beefcake. It's coming out of retirement for Boca Raton Wrestling. The voice of Boca Raton. Amazing. Florida. Discussing <laughs> <laughs> the roadies debut, which Shawn Michaels did for Road Dog to come into the WWFP paired with Jeff Jarrett singing and working and all those plans. What do you think we're going to be talking about? With that? <laughs> I think you'll probably be talking about how I threw it all away after six months. <laughs> Look at that. This seems to be a trend in my career. Oh, Lord. We're at least, get- can I get fired from a podcast? Is that possible? <laughs> Well, I hope not. I'm I'm gonna, I tell you what, I'm going to put that to the test. <laughs> <laughs> He's dog, and this has been. Oh, you didn't know? 